It's Monday, May the 9th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, a Russian bomb hits a school in Ukraine, and the Philippines goes to the polls. First, the world in brief. Vladimir Zelensky, Ukraine's president, said that around 60 people were killed after a bomb hit a school in the east of the country. Fighters inside the Azovstal steel plant in the devastated southern city of Mariupol vowed in a press conference that they would never surrender to Russia, but heavily criticised the Ukrainian government for their plight. Meanwhile, in a speech commemorating the end of the Second World War, Vladimir Putin promised his countrymen that, quote, as in 1945, victory will be ours. G7 countries agreed to phase out or ban Russian oil during a virtual meeting with Mr Zelensky on Sunday. America had already banned imports of Russian oil, gas and coal. President Joe Biden also unveiled new sanctions against three Russian media outlets and executives at Gazprom Bank, the country's third largest lender. Meanwhile, Justin Trudeau, Canada's Prime Minister, and Jill Biden, America's First Lady, made visits to Ukraine. Chuck Schumer, the majority leader of America's Senate, said that lawmakers there will vote on a bill to codify abortion rights into federal law on Wednesday. The vote is a response to the draft decision leaked on May 2nd, which appears to show that a majority of Supreme Court justices intend to overturn Roe v. Wade, the 1973 ruling that made abortion a constitutional right. But the Senate's filibuster means that the vote is doomed to fail. Polls opened in the Philippines' presidential election, which pits Ferdinand Bongbong Marcos, the son of a former dictator, against Lenny Robredo, the current vice president. Opinion polls point to a comfortable victory for Mr Marcos despite his links to the brutal dictatorship. The Election Commission said that there had been no issues during voting so far. Germany's centre-right Christian Democrats, CDU, looked primed for victory in the northern state of Schleswig-Holstein. Exit polls suggest that the CDU netted 43.4% of votes. The Social Democrats, the party of Olaf Scholz, Germany's Chancellor, were on track to receive 16% of votes, about 11 percentage points worse than the party's last showing in 2017. North Rhine-Westphalia, the country's most populous state, will head to the polls next week. Colombia sent more troops and police to contain a rioting gang in the north of the country. Members of the Gulf Clan, a major drug trafficking group, have been protesting violently over the extradition of their leader, Dario Antonio Usuga, better known as Antoniel, to America. No casualties have yet been reported as a result of the unrest. New Zealand set targets for greenhouse gas reductions over the next 14 years to help achieve net zero emissions by 2050. The targets are part of three emissions budgets presented by the climate change minister on Monday. The first budget for 2022-25 seeks to cap emissions at 290 million tonnes per year. 2 million tonnes less than the average in the five years to 2021. And fact of the day. 100 billion. 
a conservative estimate for the amount of money laundered through Britain each year. Russian loot is a major contributor. And now here's today's agenda. Putin's big victory parade. Tanks, troops and nuclear missiles will flood the streets of Moscow on Monday as Russia celebrates Victory Day. Such parades ostensibly honour the 20 million or more Soviet citizens who died in the fight against the Nazis during the Second World War. But President Vladimir Putin has weaponized this national holiday to trumpet modern Russia's military might. This year, the fanfare plays an especially significant role. Mr Putin is hoping the spectacle will swell support within Russia for his own, quote, special military operation. The procession will be smaller than usual because tanks and soldiers are needed in Ukraine. Mr Putin could use his customary speech on May 9th to declare victory in that campaign. Or he may announce an escalation, such as a mass mobilisation of men. But that is sensitive. More Russians might start to oppose his war if they have to risk their lives for it. Germany's leader remembers the war. Given the events in Moscow on Monday, Ukraine's president, Vladimir Zelensky, suggested last week that Olaf Scholz should show solidarity by visiting Kyiv at the same time. The German Chancellor has not been to the Ukrainian capital since the war started, in part because Mr Zelensky refused to welcome Frank-Walter Steinmeier, the German president, over his previous warm relations with Russia. Mr Scholz did not take up the invitation and gave a televised address to the German people on the evening of May 8th, when Germany marks the anniversary of the end of the Second World War. Mr Scholz will stay in Berlin on Monday for a meeting with the newly re-elected French President Emmanuel Macron. It is a long-established tradition for a new president to make his first foreign visit to Germany. Their agenda is long. European sovereignty in defence and energy, the Western Balkans, China, trouble in the Sahel and, of course, Ukraine. Marcos Mark II Barring an earth-shattering surprise or an unprecedented polling error, Ferdinand Bongbong Marcos, the son of the Philippines' former dictator, of the same name minus the Bongs, will win by a landslide in an election on Monday. That is a remarkable comeback for the Marcos family, who, having looted the state and imposed martial law, were run out of the country in 1986. They returned in 1991 after the death of Marcos Sr. and have been worming their way back into politics ever since. Skillful propaganda has promoted the idea that the Marcos dictatorship was a, quote, golden era of stability and high growth. Mr Marcos's campaign has been feeble, he has no policy agenda and his probable victory is deeply divisive. Many Filipinos remain wedded to the ideals of the revolution that kicked out his father. They may not accept the result. Attempts to disqualify Mr Marcos are making their way to the Supreme Court. Whatever it decides, there will be uproar. (laughs) 
Why the World Needs to Restore Its Land. Delegates are gathering in Ivory Coast on Monday to discuss ways to improve the state of the world's land. It is an urgent issue. A recent UN report found that humans have degraded as much as 40% of land globally, sapping it of water, natural vegetation and fertile soil. Most of the damage is done by farming. That puts food systems at risk as well as lowering biodiversity and the Earth's ability to sequester carbon, hastening climate change. Water scarcity is at the centre of the problem being mulled at the United Nations Convention to combat desertification. More than 2.3 billion people, or 30% of the global population, currently do not have enough. By 2050, the UN predicts that this will be the case for half the people in the world. But restoration and good land management make places more resilient to drought. A programme by the Ethiopian government, planting trees and shrubs and changing where animals graze, increased food production by more than 13% in the most drought-ridden areas. Return of the Samurai More than 30 years ago, Peter Janssen bought his first Japanese katana sword at a flea market in Berlin. Thus began a lifetime of collecting weapons and armour, with a focus on objects belonging to Japan's warrior elite. On Sunday, he opened a new museum to show off the largest collection of authentic samurai artefacts outside of Japan. Located in the Auguststrasse Art District, the Samurai Museum Berlin replaces a smaller one that closed during the pandemic. Around 1,000 objects bought in Japan, Europe and America have been chosen to illustrate the life, art and traditions that shaped society in feudal Japan for around 1,000 years. Artifacts include the armour of more than 70 high-ranking samurai warriors as well as 200 helmets, 160 swords and masks. Exhibits are embedded with digital installations, including a replica of a Japanese no theatre. Thousands more items from Mr Jansen's extensive collection are not even on display. Daily Quiz Aberistas will serve you a new question each day. On Friday, your challenge is to give all five answers and tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 BST on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Monday. Which insects use a waggle dance? to inform others of the location of food sources. Finally, here's the quote of the day, from Tenzing Norgay, who died on this day in 1986. I have climbed my mountain, but I must still live my life. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app 
or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download the Economist app on your mobile device to start listening.